feels good to be back. I've uh, been gone the last two Sundays because my daughter Phoenix was born. And uh, thank you. Uh, she's, she's our second child. And uh, Noah, our first, he's almost two. And the, the process of them each being born could not have been more different. Uh, with Noah, you know, he was our first. And with your first, you have no idea what to expect. Um, you're, you're trying to piece together like what you see on TV and like what family members tell you to do or not do. And, uh, but you really don't know what's going on. So Amy, when she started going into labor with Noah, it was pretty intense. And I was just standing there giving moral support, not really able to do anything, but, but stand and watch. And so I'm just standing there and uh, Amy's in pain and all of a sudden she kind of sits up in bed a little bit and, and she punches me. I was like, okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, so this is the husband's job during labor. And so as I'm kind of thinking this, uh, she punches me again. And it was really hard too. You know, it wasn't like a weak punch. And, uh, and so I'm thinking to myself, is this going to happen during every round of contractions as we go throughout? And uh, she looks at me and she says, when I punch you, it means hold my hand. I said, of course it does. How, how did I not know that? We, we, never, we never went to those birthing classes. I guess that's what they, they teach you there. And uh, so anyways, fast forward to January 6th, 2019, this year. And uh, we show up just after midnight to the hospital. And uh, this time I was prepared. Um, I'd gotten a gym membership and I'd been lifting a little bit. Arms were a little bit harder. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to be punched. And uh, with Noah, Amy didn't do any kind of pain meds. And uh, with Phoenix, she opted for the epidural. And I got to tell you, it was like magic. I mean, Amy was just a chatterbox. Oh, this epidural is great. I just feel really good right now. I wonder, oh, I think I'm having a contraction. I wonder if it's a big one or a small one. And she's just talking and talking. And she is just, you know, in a really good mood. And uh, so anyways, the, the doctor and the nurse, um, they come in. The nurse comes in. And uh, she's, you know what, I think you two should really get some sleep. I'm thinking to myself, like, is this some kind of baby napping ring? Like, you drug the mom, you get the dad to fall asleep, and you wake up, and who knows? But anyways, I ended up falling asleep, and the doctor comes in at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I kind of, like, groggily wake up, and 5.12, Phoenix was born. So everything went, went well, it was quick, and it was, it was a very different. So now at home, we're, we're kind of trying to naturally figure out, you know, those roles as parents with two kids, and so Amy's kind of always with Phoenix because she's constantly wanting to eat, and uh, I've turned into Phoenix's bouncer because uh, she needs protection from Noah. He, uh, he, he's, not, he's not too keen on the idea of, of her being around because it means he gets less attention. Um, so, for instance, yesterday he kicked a soccer ball into her head twice while she was laying on the floor. And so that, that's kind of my, my new job now. But I'm happy to be back with all of you. And uh, we are closing out our series this morning of Designed. And two weeks ago, Pastor Mark, he talked about how we are to give. And he illustrated that God actually designed each one of us to be givers. We're made in God's image. And God showed us that example when he sent Jesus to die for our sins, knowing that many people were going to reject what Jesus did for them. God didn't give to get. And last week, Pastor Tim, he continued on talking about what we give. And as Christians, we are called to give the, the first fruit, not our leftovers. Giving is supposed to be a priority, which means it comes first, not after. And uh, th- this morning, we are going to talk about the why. Because if God clearly depicts in the Bible that we are supposed to give and how we're supposed to give, there has to be a reason behind that. There has to be a why that's driving it. 
Ever since I was a kid, um, I've always been a saver when it comes to money. All right, so how many of you are savers? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you are spenders? Come on, admit it if you are. Yeah. All right, so, so I was always the saving type, um, even as, at a young age. And uh, it just always kind of gave me a sense of security, you know, that, uh, where I could spend less than I was earning, and then I'd see that savings, you know, slowly grow and grow. And I, I just always liked that feeling. And uh, my parents, they gave us an allowance growing up to teach us about money. And so we'd get like a dollar, you know, each week or every other week, and we'd take 10 cents of it and put it towards tithe, and we'd take 10 cents and put it towards savings. A lot of times I I would put more towards that. And we'd be left with, you know, 60 to 80 cents uh, for spending money. But even 20, 25 years ago, 60 to 80 cents doesn't get you very far in the toy economy. And I remember complaining to my dad, like, Dad, come on, a dollar a week? I I can barely buy a Charleston chew for that. Like, can can you up the ante a little bit? And, uh, but it, it was good for me because it, it started to change my thinking about how I could earn more money. So I was probably about six years old at this point, and uh, my older brother Gabe, he was eight. And uh, we decided that we were going to figure out a way to make some more money. And uh, so we came up with the idea of selling hazelnuts. Uh, we were outside all the time, and we found out that there was an abundance of hazelnut bushes around our house. And so, you know, we, over the years, we had trial and error and knew when they were ripe and knew when to grab them before the squirrels did. And so it was fall, and we decided, you know what, let's grab all the buckets we can find from the garage. And we brought them and filled them up, and we filled up uh, this red wagon. And uh, we started going to door to door and started selling. And uh, business was booming. We had a sales pitch and everything. Uh, we were letting people know that these hazelnuts, uh, these were hand-picked, and uh, the, you know, these were select choice ones, and uh, these were you know, locally grown. They were, they were uh, you know, discounted price. You couldn't find these prices anywhere else. And uh, we hadn't even canvassed you know, half the neighborhood, and uh, we were already sold out. So we were hustling at the age of six and eight. And uh, we, we were walking our empty wagon home, you know, kind of swagging a little bit, and opened the front door. My mom's like, where did you boys get all that money? You know, because we're, of course, showing off our our cash that we're proud of. And so we told her, we informed her about our new venture, our hazelnut business, and uh, she was not very excited. She did not really seem on board with it and said that she was going to have to talk to my dad about it. And so long story short, my parents gave a bunch of boring reasons as to why we had to give the hazel, or give the money back because of reasons like we didn't actually own the land that people, that we had picked all the hazelnuts from, different things like that. So, so the next day, me and my brother Gabe, we were going door to door, and uh, tears are rolling down my eyes as my first entrepreneurial endeavor is crushed. And, uh, you know, we, we, give, we give the money back, and uh, the people were very, you know, generous and offered the hazelnuts back, but I was, you know, holding back sobs, like, keep the hazelnuts, what am I going to do with a wagon full of them? And uh, so we, we let him keep the hazelnuts, and uh, you know, we thanked him and said it was a pleasure for your business, and, and walked home and with our heads down. Um, so as I got older, I got a little bit more savvy, and uh, my oldest brother, Caleb, he got a real job working at the Golden Arches, and so he got hired at McDonald's, and so he was getting more than $1 a week. And uh, I wanted more money. And I knew that Caleb, being the moody adolescent that he was, uh, he really wanted his own room. And I don't really know how, but somehow I had maneuvered my way into getting my own room. And so I proposed Caleb with a deal. I said, Caleb, uh, if you pay me rent, you can have my room, and I will go and bunk with Gabe. And uh, you can have some freedom in that way. So 
we were able to negotiate agreeable terms that ran Caleb about $8 a month. And uh, surprisingly, my, my parents actually let this deal go through. So Caleb bought his freedom, and I, I had tripled my monthly spending in overnight. Uh, the deal eventually ended when Caleb offered me a massive buyout of all of his Star Wars toys and vehicles and figures. So that eventually ended the deal. But I've always been good with money in the sense of understanding how to be frugal, how to save. If I wanted something bad enough, I would figure out how to get extra money to to make that happen so I could afford it. And I could have used and implemented those really basic but true principles when it came to finances. And I could have used those and really been successful and financially stable um, throughout my adult life. But I would have been missing one very key thing, generosity. It's good to be frugal, okay, especially with yourself, but it's bad to be stingy towards other people. It's good to save, but if you just save your entire life and you never learn the, the joy of giving, you've really missed out on something very important. You won't become who you are meant to be without giving how and what God has laid out for us in the Bible. There are no shortcuts to becoming a generous person. You can muster up the courage for a generous act. Uh, have any of you ever seen those super long commercials for abused pets? They've got like the sad violin music playing. It's like four minutes long. Every picture is some animal, you know, crying and like chained up to something. And, and these commercials, they're, they're meant to stir up your emotions and to kind of pull on your heartstrings. And uh, it works. But just because they've convinced you to give that one time, it doesn't necessarily make you a generous person. Consistency matters. But often we, we want to circumnavigate that entire process, and we, we like to just accept the title. Uh, my dad, he's a doctor. He went to school for something like 11 to 13 years after high school. He's a pretty big nerd. I think he loved it the whole time. Um, but, but anyways, he, he tells me stories, and he says people will read something on the internet or WebMD, and they'll come into him, and they inform my dad how he should diagnose them. And then um, they say, and I think you should write me this prescription for this. And I think you should do this. As if, you know, 30 seconds on the internet is now on par with, you know, 11 to 13 years of specialized schooling. But we do this, don't we? We we experience something by doing it once or twice. And we think that now we can be defined in the same way as those people who have gone through the process over the years. When it comes to money, we as a society tend to put, you know, big grand, extravagant gestures on this pedestal. And then we throw up, you know, a person's name on a building or engrave their name and information on a chair. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong to do, but, but we place so much emphasis on those big gestures. But it's the, the consistent weekly giving, the monotonous spend less so you can save and give more, the denying yourself instant gratification so you can spend and give and save long-term, the, the type of giving that nobody sees and you're never going to get public recognition for. These are the things that will form you into a generous person. So for $1,000 each, I'll make a cardboard cutout of you and place it on stage, and it can be up here for the month of January. I'm kidding. For an extra $100, we can add or subtract 10 pounds to give you the figure you've always wanted. Why are we designed to give? We are designed to give our first fruits. What is the purpose of that? Because you don't invest time into designing something without, without a purpose that drives it. 
God isn't nearsighted. It's not about what you're supposed to do, but it's about who you're supposed to become. In the Bible, there's two characters that I want to take a a look at this morning. Both of these men were wealthy, and both of these men had encounters with Jesus. But the results were very different. So if you want to turn with me, we'll have it up on the screen too. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, starting on verse 16. Matthew. Mark. That's what I said, right? (laughs) Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. So so Jesus, he he had to to change his focus a little bit because this man was thinking that if he did enough good things, if he did enough good acts, that that was enough. But, But Jesus changes his focus a little bit. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I've kept, the young man said. What what, what do I still need? What am I still lacking? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus then said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus, he offered this man an opportunity to change. And with this came along benefits that he was going to get to experience in heaven And not only that, but he had a personal invitation from Jesus to live, learn, and grow alongside him. But this man's wealth had likely also become his identity, his security, and he was unable to let go of it. God doesn't have anything against people being rich. All throughout the Bible, there there were people who were ridiculously wealthy and still godly. People like Job, people like King David. But when you become a Christian, you agree to let God have control of your entire life, not just parts of it. That means whatever he asks you to give up, you give up. From the information um, that we can gather from the text, this seems to be a respectable man. He's young, he's already accumulated wealth, so he's probably a good steward. Uh, He's already following the commandments from the Bible, He was thinking about things that matter, like eternal life. He sought out Jesus. He was seeking wisdom. Come on, Jesus. This guy's doing so much right in his life. Can't you just give him like a free pass on this one? You know, go go after anything else besides his money, and I I bet he'll he'll do it. I bet he'll he'll give whatever else it is that you want him to give. But the man walks away sadly, unable to part with the wealth he had amassed. All right, next character. Luke chapter 19. I'm about 50% sure it's Luke. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. He ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner, they said. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So here we we have another wealthy man. This man is not well respected. In fact, this man is despised, okay? Tax collectors were known to be thieves. They would steal a cut of the taxes that they were taking from people to make themselves wealthy. But Zacchaeus, he, he also seeks out Jesus, And in fact, he wasn't very tall, so he climbed up a tree just so he could get a glance at Jesus as he's traveling through Jericho. Now, the reaction between these two men is is very different. At the request of Jesus for for the young rich man to give up his wealth, he couldn't do it. But Zacchaeus doesn't wait. He he offers it. He had Jesus in front of him, and yet he also knows the kind of person that he has been. People around him are kind of giving him these looks of, of disgust, And Zacchaeus has this moment of opportunity where he realizes that he no longer wants to be that person, that that thief, that stealer, that kind of person where people are looking at disgust with. Well, you could say Zacchaeus only gave up half of his wealth. Okay, Jesus asked the rich man to give up all of his. Jesus actually didn't ask Zacchaeus to give up anything. He offered it. But in all reality, Zacchaeus, he was giving up his wealth. He had spent his life Okay, stealing from people. By the time he paid everyone back four times the amount he had taken and given half of what he had to the poor, he wasn't going to have his riches left. How you handle your finances before being a Christian cannot be the same after. When you accept Jesus into your life, God doesn't say, okay, great, uh, now we're going to fix you up a little bit. Um, We'll give you a little bit of an update. Okay, now you're Zach 2.0. Hey, that's not what he does. We completely die to ourselves. We become something new. When, when we accept Jesus and realize when we get baptized, it's a public proclamation to everyone that I, I am no longer the same person. And subsequently, I'm no longer going to live the same life that I did before I met Jesus. God and Jesus, they had a habit of uh, renaming people in the Bible signifying a change in their identity and also a change in their path in life. Uh, Abram was changed to Abraham. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, which means little stone. Josh and Juanita, baby name, just saying. Uh, The the rich young man and Zacchaeus, they both wanted the, the same result, but only one of these men was willing to go through that process Only one of them was focused on who, the the person that God wanted them to become. The rich young man, he he was willing to live a good life. He he was willing to do good acts, but not become who he was called to be. You You and I are not called to occasionally be generous, but to become generous people. And when I read the story of this young wealthy man and of Zacchaeus, I connect with them, both of them. We don't have a, a whole lot of details, but, but both of these men became rich, and yet they had very different outcomes. What separated them was their response 
to their encounter with Jesus. For the first 19 years of my life, um, I, I was good with money. But it wasn't until the age of 19 that, that God got a hold of me and he said, I'm going to make you into a generous giver. And uh, so whenever Amy and I, whenever we found ourselves unable to, to save or give, we've, we've done one of two things. We either simplify, cut expenses. Um, sometimes that even includes living with your in-laws. And, or, or you do the, the opposite and uh, you add another job on to make more income, to be able to make those purchases that you wanted to do. And uh, when Amy and I got married, um, we started um, saving for retirement right away. And uh, we invested that money, and over the years it started to grow little by little. And, uh, and it's good. It's good to save for retirement. And uh, every once in a while, God tests me. And uh, it'll be random place, random time, and he'll say, I might ask you to give it all away. And, and he's testing my reaction. He's testing my faith. And uh, sometimes I don't react very well. You kidding me, God? Okay, well, we're already generous, and we're already giving, and Amy and I, we're just trying to save. Okay, we're saving for, for our future. We're saving for our kids' future. And he goes, yeah, and if I asked you to give it all away, would you? And, and, and I have those, those struggles, and at times it's really easy and say, yeah, God, I, I would. I'd give away every cent. And, and other times I mentally struggle. I emotionally and spiritually struggle where it's like, ooh, that would be really hard. We, we've spent seven years working really hard and, and living frugally to save that up. That would be really difficult to give that away. But I'm always reminded that God doesn't need our money. God is a lot less interested in our money and a lot more interested in who we're going to become. Kyle, you can go ahead and make your way up here. God gave us a free will for a reason. He isn't some puppet master, okay? He doesn't want to control every one of your actions. He wants to help you become the person who will make those decisions and those actions for yourself. And even though we all, we all struggle with different things, Jesus knew that almost each and every single one of us was going to struggle when it came to money. Besides the kingdom of heaven, Jesus references money more than anything else in the Bible. Think about that. He, he could have talked more about forgiveness, compassion. He could have talked more about love. But instead, he chose to talk about money, wealth, finances, stewardship, giving. As Christians, we're called to give without any promise of monetary return on that money. We're called to give our first and our best to God, not our leftovers. We are entrusted and charged to give generously and consistently. Without doing so, you can never become fully who God created you to be. That is the why. And so I'm going to close with this story of Saul from the Bible. Okay, Saul was this strong, kingly-looking man, but he was ruled by his emotions, and he was disobedient towards God. God spoke through Samuel, who was his prophet and messenger, and uh, he said, Samuel, I want you to go tell Saul to lead the Israelite army and go destroy the Amalekites. Destroy everything, take nothing. And so Saul went into battle, and, and he did that, and, but once he won all of a sudden he kind of saw the spoils of his victory, the stuff that was pleasing to his eye, and he decided, you know what, I'm just going to keep a few of the, the really good stuff. And so after the battle, God again spoke to Samuel and said, I'm sorry I ever made uh, Saul king. And so Samuel shows up and he confronts Saul, 
And he says, is, is that a cow that I hear? Is that sheep? I thought you were supposed to destroy everything and take nothing. And uh, I, I want to inform you that because you've disobeyed, that God now rejects you as king. And so Saul, he gets defensive, but I, I did obey God. I, I destroyed all the Amalekites. I just kept some of the really good stuff, but it's because I'm going to make a sacrifice to God with it. And Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. As Christians, we are called to be more than just opportunistic givers. An opportunistic giver is we, we give when an opportunity presents itself or, or when we see a need. And that's a great part of giving, but it tends to be emotionally driven, tends to be situational, tends to be inconsistent. When you become a generous person, you drive the opportunity to give. You don't wait until an opportunity presents itself. You look for opportunities. You create opportunities. You give out of obedience, not out of guilt, not out of emotion. I don't want us to become guilty givers. I don't want us to become emotional givers. I want us to become obedient givers. And God has laid out for us in the Bible how and what he wants us to give. The reason why? It's not because God wants more money. Okay? Money has no value to him. It's because he knows that when we consistently tithe the first and best of what we have, we will become generous people. And our focus will remain on the person who truly provides everything. Not only that, but it's going to eliminate areas in your life where it's really easy to, to let greed, selfishness, bad stewardship take over. And those things, it's really easy to let those things take over. Maybe you never thought that money was a big thing when it came to Christianity, but it is. That's why Jesus talked about it all the time. And you have a chance today to start the process of being obedient to God in your giving, to begin to become who God designed you to be. So we're going to finish with a worship song. And uh, during this last song, I want you to just have a simple conversation with God that goes like this. God, it's 2019. What percentage of my income do you want me to give? And if you've never given before and you don't feel like you hear anything, I'd encourage you to start with 1%. And once you realize how easy it is to give 1% of your income on a consistent basis, um, you can increase it from there. And uh, it's, it's really exciting what happens is you begin to structure your life differently so you can give more. And that's a really joyful and exciting thing when you begin to change how you live because you have a desire to give more. That is the road that God wants us on to continue on to become who we're designed to be. Maybe you've given for a, for a long time, but you've never really understood why. Maybe you thought it was about a specific percentage, 10%. And it's not really about a percentage. It's about giving our first and best to God. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Will you allow God to speak into your life and say how much he wants you to give? For the rich young man and for Zacchaeus, the only thing that stood between them and eternity was their finances, their money. Zacchaeus was able to give that up. And so we're not going to do an offering right now. We're not going to do, you know, anything related to money. This isn't an opportunity where we're trying to get more out of you. This is an opportunity where we can each have an honest conversation with God, where we just ask God, God, my finances are yours. How much do you want me to give? Asking him that. And then when he responds to us through his word, the Bible, in person, through worship, through prayer, 
then it's on our part to be diligent and to be obedient to what God has told us to do. So let's just go into to worship for a song. Just take a few minutes, focus on God. You hold my every moment You call my raging seas You walk with me through fire To heal all my disease You hold my every moment You call my raging seas You walk with me through fire that you provide for us and uh, I pray that we would just think about that throughout the week that you really are the true provider of everything and God I, I pray that we'd look at your example and realize that we are designed to be givers just like you are we're created in your image God as you speak to us maybe through this sermon maybe through worship through your word I just pray that, that we would continually take that charge to, to be diligent and obedient to what it is that, that you're telling us to do and the areas of our, your, our lives that you're, you're speaking into. God, help mold and shape us continually into more and more generous people. We pray this all in your name. Amen.
Have a great rest of your Sunday.